Welcome to Finish Lines and Milestones with Allie Brettnacher. Incredible stories and tales of triumphs with everyday people achieving their goals in fitness. This podcast brought to you by Athlete Bouquets. Celebrate finish lines and milestones of the people that you love by visiting athletebouquets.com. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Finish Lines and Milestones. This is Allie Brettnacher. And I'm coming to you on a Friday night after a margarita at a Mexican restaurant. So fair warning. But I am really honored to bring you this episode. This is with a new friend of mine, Eileen Poor. Eileen and I have been friends virtually for quite a while, messaging back and forth on Instagram. But she's local to where I live. So she is in Westfield, Indiana. I'm in Carmel. Those are two neighboring cities. And so I've been really looking forward to meeting her. We've had this on the books for a while because Eileen will tell you in this episode why it's so special to be episode 17. That number means a lot to her. And when this is coming out, it will be four years to the day that she was released from the hospital after being raped by her uber driver there's really not an easy way to say that but you should know that we do talk about that in this episode and eileen went through so much more leading up to that so this episode covers her upbringing and childhood up until today and talks about how running has been such an important outlet for her throughout her entire life. And as I sit recording this in my closet, I also am holding on to a book that Eileen gave me this morning. We exchanged we exchanged this book in the lobby of Riverview Hospital where I was getting an allergy shot and she was on her way to carpool with a friend to Chicago for work. And she said, I have got to give you this book. So Mile Markers is the name. It's by Kristen Armstrong. And this book is like, there are underlines, highlights, hearts, like it looks like it's a hundred years old. And I'm just so thankful that Eileen let me borrow it. And I'm really excited to read it when I head to Michigan for this week. So I want you to know this episode's really special because I'm just, I'm honored that Eileen chose me to be the first to really hear her story. and. I just also feel, gosh, so well angry, empowered, inspired by what has happened to her throughout her whole life and not just the events from 2019 that you'll hear her talk about. But Eileen is incredible, and I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. Okay. Okay. We're here. It's recording. Oh, yay. Okay. <laughs> oh, hi, Eileen. Hi. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited for this. I'm pretty excited as well. Super nervous. I'm cursing the plant-based deodorant I have on right now. It doesn't seem to be. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay. I had so many onions on my salad for lunch, too. I forgot to say that. <laughs> no, you don't like it. <laughs> I was frantically chewing these cinnamon mints on my way here because I'm like, we're going to be pretty close together, and I really don't want Eileen to be like, wow, no, your breath smells good. real bad. So I have a restaurant background, so... Oh, so you're immune to that? Yeah, totally. I just love onions so much. I do. I love the smell of onions. It's fine. (laughs) Great. 
two peas in a pod here. <laughs> and we were talking before we recorded about the shirt that you're wearing. Yes. So, and I asked if you ever wore it in front of your children. Yes. Well, I got their permission. So I'm wearing the women running wherever the fuck they want. I was driving in the car with the kids. We were actually driving down to Florida a couple weeks ago. And um, I was like, hey, I had shown the picture to my husband. And he was like, yes, you absolutely need to buy that shirt. And I said, hey, kids, would you be embarrassed if I bought a shirt with the F word on it? And they were like, what? No, mom. And and he was like, well, it wouldn't just be the F word. He was like, honey, can you just like explain what it is? And so <laughs> I was like, well, I was like, it's based on, you know, there have been some women that have been attacked while running. And um, when women are typically attacked, they are shamed in every sort of way, like whatever time or what they were wearing and this and that. And this is basically saying that, no, women should be able to run wherever the fuck they want wear whatever they want. And they were like, oh, mom, yeah, you got to get that shirt. So <laughs> Now, if they were to turn around and be like, hey, mom, I found this shirt that has the F word on it. <laughs> I know. would be like, uh, well. and that's probably coming probably for my middle child. I can totally see that happening. But um, yeah, so uh, once I got it in the mail, like my little girl, she's just like a little spitfire. She's like, yeah, mom, it's my new favorite shirt. And I was like, oh, OK. I do really love it. Especially, yeah. I haven't seen it in person before. Yeah. Because I just love Sarah's stuff. I do, too. I think so it's much. great. So, yeah. Yeah. And how old are your kids? So, Patrick is 16. He's uh, going into his junior year at Westfield High School. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, Lukey is 13, and Cece is 9, and they both go to SMG. Oh, great. Yeah. I can't remember if, I, if we've exchanged messages about this or not, but I was from the first graduating class. We have not, Saint but Mary I heard Bay. that on your first podcast. Oh, I did and say I was there. like, yay, yay SMG, SMG, good old Catholic school. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I had, I think, 18 kids in my eighth grade class. Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. And then went to Westfield. So, yep. yeah, here we are, some Westfield locals. Yeah. Um, and we were commenting, too, about how nice the Carmel Library is. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. I'm, I'm used to hanging out in the Westfield Library, which is, like, really old school. You know, they have, like, the newspapers stacked at the front door. And you just, yeah, it's just really small and quaint. And everybody, there's some women that get together to play dominoes in there. And it's That's adorable. so cute. And sometimes I really want to, like, jump in. Yeah, cause, like, can I play um, we'll get into that later, but I just have, I've always volunteered at an assisted living residence. So I just, I used to go play cards and yeah, I think it's really cool. There's just that, that generation and, um, just a, a knowledge there that, you know, is just rare, more yeah. traditional. Right. Yeah. There's women here that play Mahjong and I've actually never seen that in person. I have not do you know either. what I you do know what mahjong is? I do. Is it it's um cuz I my first uh term paper I ever wrote was on the Joy Luck Club. Um are you familiar with no. that book by Amy Tan? Uh-uh. Um but yeah, they they play mahjong. Okay. Yeah. So well, it's, it's the like tiles and so many tiles. Yeah. It seems like in person would be just a lot. Anyway, yeah. we enough about mahjong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot to talk about today. Yes. So, let's just start at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. My name is Eileen Poor, Eileen Kincaid, and I was born and raised in New Orleans, and I went to Michigan State for college. I moved to Indy in 2004, 
when I graduated and I have been here since. I had never planned on staying in the Midwest. I cannot stand the cold. Like mm. coldness <laughs> is is anger to me. <laughs> it, it is really I just have never gotten used to it. My freshman year of college was definitely culture shock in many ways, but come October, parents bought me season tickets to football games and I remember the first football game and everybody's like so jazzed and I'm like, oh my God, it's so cold. (laughs) And it was only like 50. (laughs) So yeah, they were like, you have no idea, Eileen. It's a little, you're in for a treat. So yeah. (laughs) And what, wait, what brought you to Indiana then from Michigan? So I went to Michigan State for hospitality business. Okay. I worked in a pretty famous restaurant in New Orleans. Uh, I started there when I was 15. And I really wanted to go to Cornell. I ended up getting waitlisted. But then I I got a full ride to Michigan State. So my parents were wow. basically like, yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's where you're going. going. Yep. I had never been to Michigan. I had never seen the campus. The owners of the restaurant told me, if you got into state, like it's the oldest hospitality program and it rivals Cornell. So just go. So I did. So I show up never having visited the campus, never been to Michigan. I couldn't even, yeah, it was, uh, we drove up, my birthday is August 17th, and we drove up, my mom and I, and it was like 100 degrees when we left New Orleans. And I remember we got there at night, we checked in the hotel, and the next morning I woke up, I had to drive to sort of the abridged version of orientation. It was mainly for international students that like moved there and started like moved in early and starting school in a couple weeks so um it was a lot of -of out-of-state kids and and I remember waking up to walk to the lecture hall and it was like 60 and I was freezing I mean I was I didn't have a sweatshirt I I was like mom I just don't know I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do this (laughs) just like (laughs) go buy yourself a sweatshirt and get your butt to orientation yeah suck it up and uh, yeah, so when I graduated from state, I had a couple of job offers, and there was a small hotel management company out of Maryville, White Lodging Services, and sure. they primarily managed Marriott brands. Mm-hmm. So the GM of the Marriott downtown had come to uh, state. I was the executive director of Le Gourmet, which is a seven-course black tie gourmet dinner, that was a fundraiser, but it was also a way for students to showcase their talent at school, student run, freshmen and sophomores serve it, work back of the house, front of the house, and then uh, juniors and seniors mainly, we were on a board that they either did donations. I had a board of nine under me, so I had a front of the house director, back of the house director, director of donations, director of scholarship, some other things I can't remember, but Basically, it was a, a year commitment, and all these companies will buy a table, and it's a way to recruit and fundraise. That's really cool. So he was here. He was at the dinner, and he was just kind of hardcore about recruiting me, and I ended up coming to Indiana. I wasn't planning on staying here. I was actually coming to train here and then go open up a hotel in Austin, so so, but then I met my husband. And <laughs> there was, it is. Was, I was like, what? Well, who gotcha? <laughs> yeah. Who got you to stay? And that's it. So I've been here ever since. How did you guys meet? Lockerbie Pub. <laughs> Perfect. Like, kind of hole in the wall. It's closed now, but 
all of the service industry people hang out there after work. And a guy that was bartending for me at the Marriott downtown was best friends with Dave's roommate. And we all just kind of met out one night. And that was that was kind of it. it. Mm -hmm. We had talked when we had met at Lockerbie and it was mainly just about my my past in the restaurant business in New Orleans and I had a passion for wine. I was a wine runner. <sighs> yeah. It, and I knew I knew that this was somebody that I connected with. So my first job was also at 15 in a restaurant, but I was a hostess and that's where my restaurant experience ends. Mm -hmm. As somebody who's been in the business a ton, I want to know like some of the insider stuff about the restaurant industry. Like what should people know? Like, what are some of the insider? Well, I mean, A, I think I it's such a such a wonderful industry. Uh, New Orleans is is in and of itself like just such a special place and food in New Orleans, the culture in New Orleans is so centered around tourism and food and dining and Mardi Gras and jazz. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many subcultures. It's it's such a beautiful city. The restaurant I worked in, Brennan's, was in the heart of the French Quarter. I started there when I was 15. As a hostess, they also had the largest, one of the top 10 largest wine cellars for wow. a restaurant in the country at the time. And so the wine cellar is in a different part. A lot of the buildings in the quarter are set up. Like, there's front part a courtyard and this goes back to the architecture and civil war times and i would go and run wine anything that was ordered off the master list it was like over thirty thousand bottles or something like that was in the back in this back area and so it was it was on a chit system so like the first number was the first or second floor second number was row column side of you know, it was a five or six digit shit. And so wow. I learned how to navigate this. I was 15 when I started there. Yeah. And I was the only one that knew how to pull wine because for they had transitioned the hostess staff. A lot of them were in college and had gone back sure. to school. And so my brother's godparents actually are the original owners. And so I, I just learned how to do it and... I was fast and I became really efficient. And so when they had private parties, they would just be they would call my parents and be like, can you come? Can I link up a wine after school? <laughs> and I didn't open it or anything. It was just mainly me like running back and forth and fetching wine. And, and so that was kind of my intro. But being that it was famous for brunch, was, there was a saying in New Orleans, breakfast at Brennan's, dinner at Antoine's. Those were kind of the two gotcha. uh, big restaurants down I mean there are a million but Brennan's they invented bananas foster they cooked at table side they did like 1800 for brunch anybody that was famous that came through town came through Brennan's and it was just a really special place I grew up in that restaurant my parents any special occasion we would go we would go for Easter, First Communion, their anniversary. Um, the servers knew my parents before they had us. So, and wow, it was kind of like cool. lifetime, similar yeah. to like what St. Elmo is here. Yeah. Here, 
Brennan's was there. So lifetime servers. And so when I had started, it just became like a safe haven. And I was just mesmerized by just the experience of like having a meal, like people would fly from all over to just have brunch there. When they came in town, they have to have brunch there. And it was just special. And there was something about creating this experience and these memories. And it was just something that I, I loved. Like I got lost in it. I had a lot going on at home. My dad is an addict, alcoholic, recovered now. But growing up, you know, that was a definite, I did whatever I could to not be home. So once I got rolling in the, in the restaurant business, it was kind of like my home away from home outside of school. And so, yeah, uh, so it's crazy busy. You, uh, there's way more technology in the restaurant business now, but you there's just a passion and the the people that work in restaurants have such at least when I worked in restaurants I have been away from it for a while but you know there's there's a passion to serve there's a community and working hard and playing hard together and I loved it and that's when I went to school the being in a major with people like myself who are really Mm -hmm. passionate about the business and passionate about service yeah, it was just, you know, these are my people. Yeah. So the restaurant business is really, it's a lot of hard work. It's long hours. You're on your feet. You're running around. But, you know, an eight-hour shift feels like two hours. You know, I mean, it depending on how busy it is. But, yeah, and it becomes your family. And, mm-hmm. and all walks of life are welcome. And you see some pretty crazy things you know people can be not so nice I feel like it should be a lifetime requirement for everyone to work in a restaurant yes and uh so that that's kind of how I got my start and then when I got to school I was very involved in everything involved in every student organization related to hospitality business and I also worked at b-dubs so I was working full-time as well wow even on scholarship working full-time yeah. So That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that kind of ties into like my parents. Or they and, made you. Yeah. Well. Well, they didn't really make me. I was always very stubborn. So when I started working at Brennan's, you know, things were never really great at home, and I, my dad was an attorney at his own law firm, and sort of the way to make up for not so great situations was you know, to go shopping or to buy me something. And I just was like, or pay for something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you know, screw you. I don't want your money. I'm just going to get a job and pay for my own shit. And basically, sorry, I hope it's okay if I curse. Yeah, we already said the F word. Oh, okay. Or we talked about it. Okay. Yeah, we we did. Yeah, Yeah, totally. My shirt has the F word on it. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go. I'm going to work and uh, I won't have to ask you for anything because I I didn't want anything from them are they still together your parents they are uh my parents that is a story my mom and dad well my mom's handicapped she contracted polio on a cruise ship coming over from London to New York my grandfather was in the oil business this is my mom was like a year old my aunt Janet was four my mom's 72 sorry I'm not that great at math off the top of my head but 
So she had contracted polio during the polio epidemic. And Benny, you're in an iron lung. My Aunt Janet, who was four at the iron time. Lung? What is that? I'm not really sure. I, I'm guessing at the time it was like some sort of ventilator. I, sh- I should have looked this up. I want, I'm going to Google a picture of yeah. that. Yeah. Because I, I feel like I've heard about that in school, like yeah. what that was. But I don't remember. It sounds very intense. And then my Aunt Janet, my mom, my Aunt Janet, my mom was the worst of the two cases. But my Aunt Janet actually passed away and she was four. And my mom, that sort of uh, left her paralyzed from the neck down. Both sets of grandparents are extreme Irish Catholic. My great-great-grandparents, both of them are from Ireland. My grandmother, who I'm named after, my grandmother Eileen, Mm -hmm. was very, very faithful. She actually took my mom to Lourdes when she was six or seven. Are you familiar with the story of Mm St. Bernadette? Uh. Um, St. Bernadette, apparently Mary appeared to St. Bernadette, asked her to dig this river, the river is apparently holy, and people make pilgrimages hoping for a miracle and will bathe their kids, adults, any sort of wow. healing, any sort of disease. They'll go make a pilgrimage to okay. Lourdes. It's, the river is apparently blessed about a year or so after, two years after my mom went to Lourdes. Her neck brace, back brace, one of her leg braces came off. But she still still has a muscle tissue. She has 15% of her right quad muscle. She was never supposed to have kids. She walks with crutches. She has a metal brace. When she takes her brace off, she has to crawl. So my parents, they met so, so random. My dad was in law school, and he had decided to go on spring break with a buddy like last minute to Miami. And my mom was in nursing school in Miami and they met through my mom's cousin and that was kind of it. And then, so when they had my sister, uh, my dad, it was right before my dad graduated law school and then they had me and my brother were all, my sister and I are two years apart. My little brother and I are 16 months apart. But we had, uh, my dad was working for the DA's office and my mom, we had an apartment on the third floor and my mom can't like physically walk and hold us so she would throw her crutches down to the bottom floor and just go down the stairs with us in her lap and like scoot yeah and uh that's pretty much how she got around she would just hold on the railing and scoot down and up the stairs and then when we were old enough to grocery help her carry groceries you know it was it was a long time there was no this was like before the ADA was passed. So um, I cannot imagine this. Yeah. So, so yeah, like anytime (laughs) I have come across any sort of difficulty or obstacle in my life, like my mom for sure is like this incredible force, but her, my dad, my dad was alcoholic addict, but she had this crazy faith and I swear the man is still alive because of her. And yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. He's been sober now for 16 years. Um, wow. And we, yeah, it's, it, it's been a rough road. When I had moved to Indy, I had joined Ken Long Association because I like didn't know anybody. And I had moved, part of the reason why I moved to Michigan, you know, was to get away. My sister went to Villanova. My little brother went to Boston College. 
all three of us, I think, you know, this thing had consumed us so much that uh, we just needed to be away from it and live our own lives. Yeah. Although that became hard still because a year after I moved here. So anyway, let me go back. So I joined NIFS. It was NIFS. Marathon uh, or half marathon training program. Okay, and NIFS for anyone not from Indianapolis is a gym downtown. Yes. Is it still around? Yeah, yeah, it's still around. I went there. I've been there before, but it's been a long time. Yeah. So, and I was living in Riley Towers, and I didn't know anybody, and I was like, oh, I'll just join this running group because I had always run, mm-hmm. like you know, to get out of the house to escape the shit. Like I'd go for a run. Mickey and I, when we were little, my my mom was a nurse, and there was a yard across the street from our house St. Rita and the nuns and priests would be out walking every day and for we figured out that four laps was a mile so like Mickey and I would get up in the morning and Megs would be like go take Meg for a run and we would go run a mile while she kind of cleaned up before my mom got home from work mm-hmm. it was my dad and so then yeah I I I just started using running to burn off some steam you know because we didn't I didn't really we didn't really talk about that I went to all girls catholic school uh k through 12 uh yeah ursuline academy it was the first catholic school in the nation wow yeah and pretty special pretty special community definitely gosh I, I mean those years and those walls just kept me safe and yeah. it was pretty special um sorry I'm jumping around a lot but so when I joined NIFS to train for my first mini I didn't know anybody and I was like oh I'll just join this running club and try and meet people but I'm pretty much an introvert <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> unless somebody like initiates a conversation yeah it really doesn't happen unless like I'm definitely put myself in positions and so now in a business that forces me to talk and initiate conversation but if it's just me on my own I, I, I don't I don't know why that is I think it just has to do with a lot of my upbringing and just observing and being quiet and so I didn't meet anybody but I ran the mini and I loved it like I I loved it and I was like I can't even imagine what it would be like to run a marathon but I know I knew once I did it that I that I would want to do it and uh and then Katrina happened and uh so remind me what year that was 2005 five. Mm-hmm. so then Katrina happened and yeah that was uh that was pretty life-changing for my family on so many different levels you know, the addiction went to rock bottom and mm-hmm. we lost our home. My parents were, they had taken shelter at Ursuline at the school. I was actually in Baltimore training for a job at Fleming's. They were opening Fleming's on the north side. Yeah. I was on the opening management team. So they had sent me to Baltimore starting this new job. And and then I had come home from work the second day, and I was watching the news. And my neighbor, um, my like childhood friend who I had grown up with, Kim Sanford, her mom was a nurse at Oshner Methodist. Mm. Methodist. 
it was Mercy Baptist and then Baptist and Methodist. And, and uh, she was like tra- talking about her mom being at work. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we growing up in New Orleans, you know, it's below sea level. And every year you have like the hurricane simulator that, you know, they show the map. And if it's category five, like this is what's going to happen. And so, and we had seen it like yeah. every hurricane season. But it never actually was directly hit. So everybody, you know, had been through, I mean, generations and generations of people have lived there. And th- th- this had never happened before. Right. And so, yeah, that, oh, that, that was, that was something. So, and Dave and I had just started dating. So that was, that was also difficult because they're, <laughs> hi, welcome to my family. It's kind of a shit storm um yeah <laughs> so after Katrina um, my parents were displaced they moved to Baton Rouge they were choppered out of the school wow. with the Ursuline nuns That's which crazy. was the first time since 1727 that the Ursuline nuns left the Ursuline convent like wow yeah and it was just a very surreal time and while the three of us lost our home my dad was sort of spiraling and that was that was pretty difficult and that's kind of when I had decided that I was going to run a marathon for them so after Dave and I got married in 2006 I had signed up for Ken Long Association for the uh, marathon training program and at the time there were there wasn't monumental and there wasn't Carmel. So their closest marathon was Columbus. So Columbus was my very first marathon in 2006. I had, I was so mad because I got back from my honey. I mean, I ran on my honeymoon. I ran (laughs) when I got back. And then I found out that I had two stress fractures in my metatarsals. And my running coach was Tom Hathaway at the time. He used to coach down at Southport. He was 82, just the most wonderful man and uh you know we would go it was at Roberts Park Church downtown and we would meet on Tuesday nights and they would pass out these he would pass out these papers and we would fill out our weekly mileage and turn them in (laughs) from from the the previous week and then he would like write notes and it was like it was just and I have them saved I was gonna say oh oh, I want to see those yeah that's I so cool. So I um so we made the the journey to Columbus. My mom came uh, at the time my dad was missing. Uh, he just sort of just disappeared after my wedding and uh, Was he at your wedding? Yeah, barely. Okay. Um, did he walk you down the aisle? He did he did also barely. Gosh, yeah. He did. Tough. Um it was that morning I think that my mom found his drugs. We were waiting for my my uncles my dad's the oldest of six and they they're all from they all live in philly my aunt mary ellen lives in baton rouge so she was always like a safe haven like if i had if you know we had to leave or miss school or whatever i would go stay with her and so my dad he my mom purposefully booked the flight father joe came up he was a pastor at St. Rita, my parents' good friend, and he was going to marry us. And my mom booked the plane ticket with him on the plane 
Father Joe and my dad decided to drive. <laughs> Can't bring your drugs on a plane. Jeez. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was just kind of crazy. Anyway, so I ran Columbus, and it was it was great. Like, it it was flat. I don't really remember. I remember asking Coach Tom, I'm like, okay, I if I run this with my fractured foot, like, is it going to be any worse? Or he's like, no, just take some ibuprofen. He's like, but don't tell anybody I told you that. <laughs> he's like, you're not going to make it worse at this point. So I'm like, okay. So uh, that's what I did. And then, yeah, and that was my first marathon. And a few weeks after I had found out that I was pregnant. So... Um, that was my very first marathon experience. So you were technically probably pregnant and pregnant and broken foot. Yep. Great. Do you remember your finish time? Oh gosh. I I think it was four four oh four oh nine, four eleven, four oh two. All of those I don't something like that. Yeah, I don't have a spreadsheet. Uh, I I'm not I wish that that's I did. That's good. It's probably healthy not to have a spreadsheet. Yeah. I know a, a lot of runners do. Yeah. But at this point, like, running was really just therapy. Yeah. 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 So then fast forward to 2008, um, I had Patrick. And then I, so I found out I was pregnant in October. I had Patrick in June. And then there was still a lot of shit going on with my parents and I immediately signed up for my dad was not around when Patrick was born so I had signed up for Indianapolis at Indianapolis half in October so I had Patrick the end of June and then ran um, Indy half in October in my cotton ray shirt and I remember wow that's so soon after yeah baby yeah it was I wasn't really thinking about that. It was more like, I, I just got to yeah, yeah, get it out. Right. And I remember nursing him before the start <laughs> and handing him off to my husband and going, running the race and then coming back and then nursing him. And because at that time it was like, th- now they have all kinds of resources stuff. for women. Yeah. yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Stuff. It was like, this was like. Now you could like put this thing in your bra and like run around and pump. Yeah. Which is yeah, crazy. Which is I'm like, yeah. let me put the cigarette lighter <laughs> charger in and yeah. beam it up. Yeah. Yeah. So after that. And was that still when they had the full marathon there as well? Yeah. And you yeah. did the half. I the did half. the half. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I did okay. the half. I'm trying to think of what my second Oh, and these were your first races. So like are, Columbia, you've never done like a 5K before doing the Columbus Marathon, or have you done? Oh, no. I had done 5Ks. I had done the Crescent City Classic, 10K in New okay, Orleans. Okay. But I wasn't like, you know, running was running was like an outlet for stress and for conditioning. I was a diver, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, when I was younger, I was on a junior Olympic travel, like club team for USA Diving and um, wow. so I would, we need ran, like three hours. Ellie. I know we ran for conditioning. There's a, <laughs> like I told you there's a lot yeah, to unpack here. Geez, I want to know more about that, but I'm we, sorry, yeah, I'm it's go- okay. Sorry. I'm going all over the place. No, it's here. all, it's all good. Um, so then after that, we were living in on 36 and Penn. And I remember New Year's day there, were, oh, the dog started going crazy and Dave was at 
uh, work doing inventory in the wine cellar. So, like, it was no cell service. Yep. And I look outside, and the SWAT team's, like, on the front lawn. Of your house? Of my house at 36 and Penn. And they're using the yellow caution tape to, like, tape off the street. And I'm like, what is going on? And, like, they're getting out. They got their SWAT gear on and they knock on the door and they're like ma'am we have a hostage situation next door there's a woman and her kids being held up at gunpoint um we are gonna need you to stay inside and i was like okay um cool and how old's patrick at this point like not even a year old oh no wait i'm sorry this was before i had patrick okay yeah this is right before i had patrick because then we had to move oh while you were pregnant yes that's fun that's what spurred us to get out of there yeah yeah so we hadn't sold the house, but it was like we just – I was like, hey, I can't come home from work at night. And he works mainly nights, so I'm yeah. by myself. I was like, this is this not – we, Yeah, we're going yep. to have to go. Um, so we moved into our new house, and then, then I had Patrick. And then the following New Year's, we had been struggling to pay both, both mortgages. And this is like 2008. Ooh, 2008 was like mm-hmm. the big recession mm-hmm. Dave had a side business with two partners. They owned nine rental homes on Butler, like around Butler. Okay. And so they rent them out. And then Marion County, we levied tax, property taxes. The economy crashed. We had two mortgages. And um, I remember looking. My brother had come to visit me. And the, it was New Year's Day again. And the refrigerator and the washing machine broke. And Mickey was like, come on, Leanne, like, let's let's just go. Like, it was so stressful. We were, like, completely out of money at that point. And um, <laughs> we go. He's like, let's go get a beer. I'll buy you a dinner. And we're sitting at uh, Scotty's or wherever we went and uh, looking at the TV. And on the news, somebody had gotten shot and killed. And there is, like... And it was on our block of our old house that no. we and the talk to Tucker signs there and and I was like, who wants to buy it? <laughs> Perfect commercial. I was like, Happy freaking New Year! Oh my god! Um, so anyway, so all of these rental homes. What I'm getting at is that like there was nothing left, and we found out that six of the nine mortgages were tied to Dave. And he didn't know because the, the business part, I guess, wasn't set up completely or they had never finished setting the business part up. So there comes bankruptcy. And then I found out I was pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yay. So when people are like, uh, you know, we're just not ready. We're just not. We want to be in a good place. financially right. ready. Oh, it's like you're like, come on. I've, I've done this. So uh, having a toddler and an infant is one thing when you have when you're basically a single mom because of his job. Right. And I was, it was just me. I like I'd work all day. I picked them up from daycare and, and, but add being a paycheck away from homeless adds another level of stress. And I just had, I just had to run. I just, I was at the J every morning at 6 AM on the treadmill and I had signed up my friend Rachel, who had done my first marathon with me, they were doing Ragnar. 
after Lucas was born. And she was like, come on. I was like, I cannot afford to go to Arizona. And she was like, I don't care. Like, you, we'll pay for you to go. Like, you got to okay. do it. So I'm like, okay. So February, I do Ragnar. And it was just amazing. I mean, there's so much stress. And it, for the first time, like, I, it was my first time away from the two of them. And, and I was meeting people just as me. You yeah. know, you yeah. felt like there was so much baggage. You know, I went from... Katrina to issues with my dad and then bankruptcy and having babies and being broke and I just it was just so much fun and I will never forget my second leg was at 3 a.m. through the desert I think I had an eight mile leg and it was just quiet and I just I loved it and I and it we had a, the best time we ran oh, from Prescott so. to Tempe Jack Daniel sponsored us. Our team name was Hold My Drink. I'm going to try something. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we just had the best time. And then I ran Columbus again in October. And I, you know, I had so much, I don't know what the word is, just so much internally. I When I had moved here and married Dave and my schedule wasn't set up to where like I could really make friends like I didn't really know I still didn't really know many people here and you know I worked during the day and I had the kids at night so it wasn't like I had any time to socialize yeah and I didn't really have anybody to talk to about all of this shit going on so all I could do was run and um, I had just kind of put it in my head that I was just going to run it out and see if I could try and qualify for Boston. And I didn't even know what that looked like. I just knew like I had always, when I saw jackets, I was like, man, someday, like, I just want to do that. That's so cool. Like, I don't even know like how one goes about doing that. Mm. But then I ran Columbus in 2010. Um, Lucas was just, just over a year old. Wow. Because he was born September 29th, and it's always the third Sunday of October. And that was, oh, God, it was it was great. I mean, I just felt like I got some shit out, and then I found out I qualified. <laughs> and uh, I was so excited. And I didn't even know, like, what, what came next, but I was just so excited. And I remember one of my Ragnar teammates, and this was actually, like, the the day before registration had opened up one of my Ragnar teammates was like hey you know you gotta you gotta get in you gotta register tomorrow and I was like oh oh okay so I get on the website and this is before this was like first come first serve I can't even believe now with all of the rules and stuff like I can't even believe this is how it used to be but you got a one minute grace period so my qualifying time is like 340 11 okay because you got you know, a minute over your qualifying time to get in. Wow, how nice does that sound? Yeah. And (laughs) then it was like first come, first serve, and the website crashed, and people were pissed. But I got in. I got in. And I was so excited. (sighs) And then from there, that was the year that changed. You know, they had the rolling registration, and they had lowered the standards. And then I was like, oh, man. You know, now what am I going to do? I'm going to have to quit smoking. By the way, yes, up until this point, I was a smoker. Well, I did want to point out, because this whole time I've been thinking, like, I mean, did you ever deal with alcoholism or drugs or anything like Because I'm just thinking, wow, like, with all that stress and all of that on you, like, 
And just having that in your family, like turning to something like that wouldn't have been all that surprising. No, like, well, I was around it. I was a lot, I was around a lot of drugs when I worked in the restaurant business and just in New Orleans in general, like uh, there's so much centered around alcohol. Yeah. And we would go out and, and we had a good time, like, you know, drinking is part of the culture and in high school, but I never really, this is going to sound weird, but I was like, I don't want to drink. I'm only going to smoke pot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to not swear off alcohol. And really like through college, I mean, I, I didn't, I was, I was working. I had two jobs and I was taking 15 to 18 credits and I wasn't, I didn't drink much. I did smoke pot. I was a pothead. Yeah. 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 And I smoked a lot of cigarettes. Cigarettes. That's so, so not only did you run your first marathon with a broken foot and while pregnant, Mm -hmm. but you're also, you're a smoker up till this Mm -hmm. point. Yeah. That's that's wild. I'm hardcore, Allie. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, learning all this about you is just so, I mean, I just feel so fortunate to be learning all this. It's so amazing. I mean, holy shit. Because we haven't even, we haven't even gotten to like the other race. I mean, all the races like in recent past. No. So anyway. So, uh, so yeah. So then when they, when, after I, I got to Boston and I didn't even know, I didn't even know how I was going to get there because we had right. like no extra money. I think my brother and my sister may have helped, but we, we went out and it was, yeah, it was uh, very surreal. It was surreal. And I just couldn't believe, you know, up until this point, like, just being ridden with anxiety every every day and just not even understanding or being able to fathom, you know, this experience. It was wild and beautiful and amazing. And so that was my first Boston. And then the next year they they lowered the or raised the qualifying time. I don't know. Like it lowered. It right. Was, you know, yeah. Three, made it harder. It made it harder. What, wait, what year was your first Boston? 2011. 11. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah. 2011. So I qualified when Lucas was just over 12 months old. And when I got to Boston, Patrick was three and Lucas was about 18 months old, a year and a half. So how the hell did you train? On a treadmill. Yeah. At the J. Did they have childcare there? Yeah. So they went to the JCC. I didn't care, like, you know, whatever I had to do to get them there because it was the very best place and with everything going on I just wanted them to have like the best experience mm. and also Dave and I needed daycare from seven to six right, essentially I guess, yeah you're working your ass yeah, off yeah because I worked eight to five and then he worked from anywhere from like typically 12 to 12 or 12 to 2 so yeah, so I was I was at the J like every morning right when it opened. I'd get my miles in. I also, when I was at Nordstrom, there was a girl that worked for me that lived in the apartments, and she gave me the gym code, so I would like run on my lunch break. That's kind of always been. I'd just fit it in whenever. Yeah. And then long runs I would do on Sunday when I wasn't working. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, that was nuts. Just make it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, just, do, just it. do it. It was just yeah. like, you know, it's like – if you make a, a appointment to talk to a counselor for an hour, you know, it's like, that's basically what it was. It's like, I got to go get my mileage <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah. 
yeah, and I just kept running. So did you do Boston the following year then? I had qualified the following year. I was sort of grandfathered in, but that, that's when they started the cut. And I think the first cut was like a minute under. So I didn't make the cut. And then I qualified again in 2015, I think it was, for 2016. Or it may have been 2016 for 17. And I missed the cut by 17 seconds. Oh, And that was so hard. That's sad. That was so sad. I remember crying into my soup, just like, <laughs> I was just like looking so forward. It was so hard to like make it back. And then 2018, I was a year. It was like a banner year. Like, you know, we had finished, we were out of bankruptcy because we were on the payback plan or whatever. And I had been promoted a couple of times and life was starting to get a little bit easier. I had CC in 2013. I had switched jobs. I had to leave Nordstrom, I think in 2015 or 16, 2015, I think. My my Dave's mom lives here um, and she's the only family, but she's 80 something, 80. She's 80, 89 now. Wow. But okay. when she had turned 80 at the time, she was like, I cannot watch all three kids like you're like oh, it makes sense yeah and jeez <laughs> and you know saturdays birthday parties and yep play dates and everything was happening on saturday and both of us were working yeah. saturdays wow. so that's when i kind of transitioned out to recruiting and then um 2017 i got a new job and at design bell construction firm and uh as a recruiter i was the first in-house recruiter they brought on and life started to kind of settle a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, things we had considered buying another house because we were outgrowing our 1,600 square foot house. And now we, we could actually because yeah. we couldn't before. And then that's when we went looking, got our house, um, new builds, new community in Westfield. Um, we were the first. So we got a good deal on it. And... Yes, 2018, I, uh, my miles ended up, it was less of a transfer of pain to more of running for a different purpose. Like it felt lighter and easier and more joyous. And Mm. so, and that was like my PR year. So I ran Columbus and I PR'd, I qualified for Boston 2019. A couple weeks later or a week later, I did Tecumseh Trail Half. And that was pretty amazing. I I think I was third female or third of my age group. And then I did monumental half and that was my half PR. So like 2018 was good. And I had 2019 comes. I did also do, before I did Tecumseh, I'm sorry, I glossed over Gnawbone 50K. That was my first 50K. Yeah, Um, I was wondering where that came in. Wow. Yeah, so I had moved. After I had started my job and I had missed Boston, I just was like, man, I just got to, I got to get it out. And I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to sign up for this trail race. I'm going to do my first 50K, which I didn't know. Like I had never done, I had, I did one trail run at Eagle Creek, maybe a couple months before (laughs) it was like, it was like a 15K, but it was short and I didn't understand him. My friend Jenny was like, no, trail races are typically like shorter because 
the GPS isn't accurate. So it was like actually eight miles and at Eagle Creek. And it was like, I mean, those trails are pretty much flat compared to yeah. Brown County State Park. Um, yeah. So I had no idea what I just like signed up for this thing. And I, ha- I will have to find the start line photo for you because it was like one of these things is not like the other. Here I am in my trucker hat. I had one buff, my sports bra, one gel. And that was it. <laughs> and like all these people have like camel backpacks. backs. Yeah, backpacks. They got knows. food. They got like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> what did I miss? I didn't have a drop. I didn't have a drop bag or anything. So, yeah. So that was, that was insane. And I remember getting to, gosh, it was like mile 26 or 27. And I was like, God, this is, when is this going to end? This is so painful. And I remember making the turn the last mile coming out, and they were like, here comes our number three female. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Who? Where is she? (laughs) Because it's not me. Um, It was wild. It was wild because it was not on a trail. A lot of it is extreme. If you know the Gnawbones series. I haven't. I I know of it. I know I've not done any. It's kind of like off-road trailing like you're also trying to stay on course and look for flags and climbing up you're scaling like mountains and jumping over trees and there were I was swatting horse flies and I was like this is just miserable like I (laughs) have no idea I remember driving to registration I looked at my friend Jenny and I was like um what how how many hills are there (laughs) Oh god. And she was like just make sure that your shoes are tied on really tight because it rained. It's on horse trails. Your first 2 miles are going to be all uphill and you'll be sinking in mud and you just don't want to lose your shoes and I was like, "Oh, okay, great." Cool. Like, but it'll be great. It'll be you'll be so good. You've got this." And I'm like, "Oh god." Yeah, that, so that wow. was that was surreal and another like amazing experience. And then we moved and then comes 2019 and things are good. Like we had moved out of our house. We had to move into an apartment downtown because our new house wasn't going to be ready till August. Ugh, yeah. And that's, that sucks so bad. Like packing up one house, putting stuff in storage, moving to a two bedroom apartment in downtown Indy with all three kids and the dog. Three children and a dog. And a Great. dog. Yeah. Perfect. Um, oh. For like a month and a half until our house was ready. It was so chaotic. So the kids usually go down to Sanibel every year to visit. Dave's sister lives in Naples. So they'll spend a week with Aunt Gina. And then we go to Sanibel the first week of August. We've gone every year. That's where Dave's grew up going. His mom and dad bought a four weeks timeshare like back in the 70s. And they've held on to it. And so like each kid got a week. And we typically have gone the first week um free you know free vacation um so this year though we weren't going to go because of the new house we were you know we just wanted to spend time and get stuff Mm. situated go furniture shopping whatever so the kids left on a Saturday and I was going to meet Dave out for a date night I had gone to Broad Ripple to meet some friends took an Uber because I didn't want to like get my car out of apartment garage and and I knew I was going to have a couple drinks and 
So I, I went to Broad Ripple maybe for an hour, hour and a half, called a ride share, and what would have been a 10-minute ride back downtown was uh, not. And uh, I got dropped off at his restaurant, and uh, I called him because I didn't know... I didn't really have a concept of time at that point. I knew that I had been raped and uh, I call him and I was like, hey, where are you? And he was like, I'm at the apartment. Like, where are you? I mean, and I said, I'm at the restaurant. Like, I thought you were going to be here. And he was like, honey, it's like almost midnight. Like, and I said, I need you to come get me. I've been raped. And I walk through the bar and I go to the bathroom and I just collapse and he parked in the alley carried me out and we went straight to downtown IU Methodist and um, I got there shortly after midnight and that was the most um, I was in shock for sure I didn't really, I couldn't really process what had just happened. All I knew was that I was hoping that maybe I was dreaming. And I kept saying, you know, do you think it was a dream? Like maybe I was dreaming. And uh, that's when I met um, Cheryl, my forensic nurse. There is a separate center in the ER for sexual assault victims. And it's set up like a hospital room slash lab because they, you know, do a pretty extensive extensive rape kit, which seemed to last for like three and a half hours. And then they take you to a room and you have to take like every sort of medicine possible. They give you like every STD drug and shot, heavy antiviral drugs, uh, some sort of... HIV antiviral drug that they have now that um, makes you really sick. Uh, I had to be on for 30 days. And uh, I just remember walking out of the hospital. It was probably like 7 a.m. And they had bagged all my clothes. And uh, they gave me these large light blue sweats and it was July and I just remember feeling like so hot and uh we got back to the apartment and uh I just filled the bathtub with scalding hot water and sat I just remember thinking still like maybe it was a dream Mm. and we decided Dave went to take a nap and I was awake I called my sister and uh, once he woke up we went for a walk and I said can we walk to St. John's that's where we got married and um, I lit a candle and I just asked God please give me the strength to forgive this person Mm -hmm. so that I could make it through what I knew was going to be not uh, not a good time and uh, 
said my prayers. We walked out. We walked around downtown. And I just remember the sun was like burning hot. And um, the rest, the next six months of my life were somewhat blurry. Like uh, Saturday, or this was Sunday. Sunday I had gotten out of the hospital and um, after we had gone to lunch, I wanted to go see my best friend, Monica, who I met at Nordstrom when I transferred to Keystone. And it was like, she's always been like a godsend. She's like my sister. I went to her house. I told her what had happened. My forensic nurse had called to check on me on the way home and gave me her work schedule because she was worried about me. She was like, I know this isn't protocol, but... I just wanted to check on you and give you my work schedule and let you know when I'll be here. And then Sunday night, I was up all night. I didn't go to sleep and I had to go to work Monday and I get to work. And um, well, they had told me when I had been released that an SVU detective would be in touch because there wasn't one on call or he was called away at that point after I had been, after my rape exam was done. Um, so there was another officer, but they passed the case over to SVU. Um, so I got to work and having not slept and I, I couldn't, uh, I, it was, I wasn't, uh, I was pretty numb. I had to tell my boss what happened, which was like, um, I, I didn't even know how to find the words, but I had to tell him because SVU had called and said that they needed me to come down the station and I had to leave work. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to go back. On the night before, I had called Cheryl. She was working at IU and I was like, I can't, I can't sleep, like I don't. And she had called Linda, who was the director of clinical services at Julian Center and gave her my number directly. So while I was at SVU, Linda had called and wanted me to come to see her and I was like okay well you know I as soon as I finish up here I guess I'll go there and that was that was surreal I show up at Linda's office and uh, I remember sitting in the chair and she just put pillows all around me and gave me a blanket and she was real quiet and she was like, I know that what you just went through, what you've been through is a lot. She was like, but if you want to just sit here, you can go to sleep if you want. And I just remember it was the softest I had felt and everything felt so harsh. Mm. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. I just like my clothes, everything just hurt. And it was the most comfortable I had felt in that moment, and I don't even think I said very much. I just remember feeling safe. Uh, Dave had to work. My sister flew in town. I was awake again Monday and Tuesday. Uh, my friend Sarah offered to come over and sit with me so that I could go to sleep. And I, up until that point, I hadn't really slept. He, the last thing he said, I remember was, you could go to sleep if you want. 
and he, he being your mm-hmm. and I had just seen you know I I didn't I didn't see a face I saw his eyes in the rearview mirror and that was kind of it there sounds you know Sunday uh, when we had gotten back from St. John actually I had opened my email and I saw my receipt and I had been I saw that I was in the car for almost an hour and I think that was the first time I actually realized like it was real and so I remember just not knowing like what to do with myself like how to be how to exist I knew I had to run I wanted to run but I was on all of this medication and it was like it tore me apart I was it made me sick it was messing up my blood sugar I wasn't sleeping a couple weeks go by the kids come home yeah you know it was kind of a godsend that they weren't here because I had a couple weeks to like get my bearings and then we had to move (laughs) we had to move and they had just transferred schools. They had just started SMG. They were at St. Luke previously. So they were, we were moving and they were starting a new school. All of these things. And I was just this shell of a human. Yeah. Trying to keep it from them. And I, I wanted so badly. I had run a fall marathon every year that I wasn't pregnant and I was like no I'm not gonna let this change like I'm just I gotta run monumental somehow part of the course passed over where he pulled over and you know the last stretch on Meridian the rideshare office big old sign right there the final stretch so I had decided that I was going to run this thing no matter what. And I had barely trained because I I just, I wasn't okay. I had to, you know, I was moving and getting kids ready and uh, medicine and lack of sleep and lack of everything, lack of sanity, I guess. But I kept trying to run. I kept running no matter how painful it was. And I showed up to Monumental. I decided that I was going to wear my sweats that I got released from the hospital as my throwaways so I could throw them away. Mm. And I filled out index cards that said, I forgive you. And it had the date. And I dropped them on the course. And uh, I just needed a finish line. I just needed to feel like myself again. Yeah. Because as I look back on my life, Running is the one thing that has made me feel beautiful or kept away the darkness, I guess, more than anything. It was like one of those things that there was so much darkness around me. But when I was running, I felt like seen by myself, by my own spirit, if that makes sense. Like I felt beautiful. And I remember listening to a podcast when uh, Glennon interviewed Shalane and uh, she said, you know, I feel most beautiful when I'm running and I wrote it on a post-it note because when I was, went back to work, man, I, gosh, trying to focus. Well, first of all, 
you know, Linda had helped me realize that trauma shuts your brain off so it's, as a mechanism to protect you. Mm. And it it's not just in that moment for trauma because it happens like you forget your memory is going to be impacted for however many you don't even know for me it was a solid year like and I had a photographic memory like school was always easy for me because I could just read something and remember it and take tests and like my memory I remember stuff from like when I was three years old and then all of a sudden I couldn't remember anything I couldn't remember if I I go to work and I check my sent email box first because I didn't know if I had completed a task. Nobody at work knew except my boss. I didn't take any time off. They allowed me to take a half day on Mondays to go to um, Julian Center to see Linda. But I had been through so much adversity and never once did I want it to be an excuse for my performance. And my mind would be no different. Although it was incredibly difficult to focus. I listened to music. I did whatever I could to like find some beautiful music. Anything that could drown out the fear and the anxiety. And then the, the steps in the criminal process, you know, the rape kit, in order for it to be processed in the crime lab, there's only one crime lab in Indy, um, and they told me that homicide comes first. So it could potentially be six to 10 months before they even get to my rape kit, which I was like, oh, I didn't even, I couldn't really quantify, but they were like, well, your, your case, you know, we could probably get it expedited, given that it was a stranger and <laughs> There are so many levels that are just wrong about the whole process in general. But like six to ten months, I was like, I, I don't even know. I mean, I, and then what? And then after that, they had to confirm that it was a DNA, find the DNA match, find him, get a warrant for his DNA, which he ended up being arrested. There was a warrant out for his arrest just to get his DNA sample. Um once they got the DNA back from the crime lab, this was about November. Oh, no, no. November was when they they were they had a warrant out for his arrest because they had to get his DNA. And it was the day before Thanksgiving. I think he was outside waiting to give somebody else a ride and an off-duty officer. There was Bolo out for him, so... Uh, an off-duty officer had seen the car and the description, and so that's how they ended up arresting him to get his DNA. But then they had to let him go because then they had to send his DNA to the crime lab. So fast forward to March. They sent his DNA came back from the crime lab, I think until not until after January, and this is January 2020 now. And... It's such such a process. The first six months, I was I was pretty much numb, and I, you know, looking back on all of it, I I am not really sure how well I coped, or or was I I just I had to I had to work and I had to be a mom, 
and I went from working all day, hiding it, to being a mom at night, trying to hide it. But kids, like, they, they knew. Yeah. They could see that I was sad, that I couldn't hear. I'd forget things. I was on edge. They didn't know. They still don't. They don't. But they know that there was something. And, man, those kids, like, they, they kept me going. I mean... There were so many dark days. He was arrested March 13th, 2020, and then the world shut down, and he was released. He was under house arrest, but still um, then then came, you know, the criminal part, and that was just, I had three different prosecutors. I kept having to revisit the story. I had to have a deposition that kept getting continued. And they they had also told me that one of the biggest tactics in sexual assault cases was to continually continue it. Like the defense attorney will will continue it because they want to wear the victim out. And they do. They do. My deposition kept getting continued and then they landed on a date which happened to be my birthday in 2020 and Linda said she was like hey this is going to be like the hardest thing that you do but your words and this will stay with him it will no matter what happens in your case like this is important like just be strong she was like it's going to be tough but she got to do it. She gave me these bracelets. And it was, it was brutal. It was brutal. And then I went axe throwing. <laughs> I didn't expect that. I didn't see that coming. I went axe throwing after. God. Yeah. And then I got another prosecutor. And it just kept going. And then, oh gosh, entering... 2021 and it's still going and uh at this point I'm like waiting for trial and they keep pushing it back and pushing it back and then it was May and then finally I was like I can't I can't do this and my third prosecutor was just I mean there was like no care and it was as almost if I had been now to so many meetings and I felt like I there is no way that they were going to have my back I mean I didn't how on earth am I going to get on the stand and trust these people with uh, this horrific thing that we had been over over again and I just they continued the trial again and I was like just come up with a plea they had the the defense came up with a plea and I was like yeah I'll take it yeah and then they said you can read your victim impact statement Uh, you have that right and I went back and forth because I still didn't have a a face and I felt like I don't want to put I don't know if I could have a face but I know that I was something I had to do and everybody's like oh you'll feel so much better but I knew I had to do it because I had to address I had to address it and I had been through hell and I wanted I wanted to find my words and um, I read my 
victim impact statement, when I got the date, it was three days before eight hour endurance. And I was like, I signed up and I knew that I was just going to go run it out. And I don't even think, I didn't tell Dave until the day before that I was doing it. I was just going to go. I was just going to go and do it and run until, run until it, just drop it. And um, run until it didn't hurt or, I don't know. I just, it was perfect. I'm like, I'll just run for eight hours. Great. Um, (laughs) And so prosecutor, of course, we're supposed to be there at 9 a.m. It was late. I'm like in the bathroom, like vomiting and dry heaving because this is like completely not a normal thing for somebody to do, right? I mean, like to face. I was so scared and um, I hadn't eaten or slept that whole week just like not even knowing what this would be like. But they waited and, you know, you go into a, a room and it's not just me it's like a million cases so there's like all these attorneys and you're waiting for your case to be called and um the jury gallery is just like attorneys on laptops and it's kind of loud and people are talking and they just go from case to case and so you know they call my case and my husband had a statement and I had a statement and um they call me up Monica had come with me and I just felt like my words were just like evaporating. Like here I am reading what my life has been like for the past two years. And it was just nobody was paying attention. I remember there was an attorney in the jury gallery um, typing. And as soon as they heard me start speaking, he stopped. And then the woman next to him stopped. And they kind of looked at me and they kind of gave me a nod and I'm like not looking at my rapist at all and he wore a mask like completely and this was after like masks weren't a thing he he wore a mask um and I I read my statement and I just felt like this was about as cold as the entire process but I also walked away thinking I really really feel like I can handle anything it was such a non-grand event and I guess you know when I walked out I there wasn't like this weight that was lifted it was like fuck like this was like not important and you know when I got to eight hour, I had my pair of shoes and my sports bra, of course, like I'm so not prepared. And I heard my friend Lauren was like, Eileen, are you ready? Like they're about to start. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like I was, you know, I'm just going to go do this. Did you do thing. it by yourself? I did it by myself. Okay. I did solo. Um, and that was, I mean, up until the eight hour, I think it was eight hour last year. That was the farthest I ever run. I did like 32.17 miles. I, I end all my mm-hmm. runs in a 1-7. I was born on the 17th. My street address growing up was 7717 Belfast, the house we lost in Katrina. 17's just kind of always been my lucky number. And so when you had said, 
you know, when can you be on the show? And I was like, oh, God, I should be, I got to be episode 17. <laughs> and when you told me the date it would air, that will be four, four years to the day that I walked out of the hospital. And I was like, I know that I have to do this. The biggest thing, you know, in this entire process was people don't know what to say mm-hmm. or how to react. And you want so badly. And I had been through so much in my life up until this point, And I, I was able to get through it. Like I could do it. But this thing, this, this one thing stole all of the color in my world. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it alone, but nobody knows what to say or do. So they leave you alone because they don't want to bring it up because they don't want to upset you. Mm -hmm. But they're like, I I just don't want you to think about it. It's like, no, I think about it 24 seven all the time. It never leaves my brain. Now, of course, no, but yeah, it was the most isolating. You know, I lost friends. I lost sanity, sleep, my dignity, color, time. I lost time. My victim impact statement. I wrote it after Patrick's eighth grade graduation. I was sitting in SMG church and I saw him walk in with his suit on and he just looked so old and grown up and I had missed it and I had missed time and I had missed life. And, uh, and that's what I talked about. And you know, I, uh, it's, it's not something that anybody knows how to approach the subject. It's a very, uh, broken system in a lot of ways. And, uh, it's a very taboo subject, but it is very prevalent. Rapists are the least prosecuted criminals, only 3%. I know why now it's, it's a process where you are just in this deep hole and all I could do was run. And so after the endurance, eight-hour endurance, I uh, my first race back, like race race after COVID and all of this shit was Columbus. And I was just ready. I was like, man, I just got to like, I just got to run it out. And I wanted to qualify for Boston again. I had qualified for 2021. There was like a seven-minute cutoff or some something crazy and I had seven minutes and 11 seconds and I think it was 747 and I was like oh you've got to be kidding me but I was like no whatever screw it I'm just gonna I'm gonna run Columbus and I'm gonna do it and I remember crossing that finish line and the kids were there and I PR'd I didn't look at my watch I just went and man I just felt like I had just conquered the world in a way and uh when I got to Boston in 2022, I remember riding the bus to the start line, just starting to cry, thinking, man, I don't even know how I made it here. There were more days that I wanted to be dead than alive. But I think the main thing that I wanted to say and do on this show It doesn't matter if you have no money, if you lose your home, if you are struggling with addiction or parents with addiction or you lose all your friends, you lose your dignity. There is a fire that cannot stop you 
and you just have to hold on to positive things and silver linings because that's what I've always done. And I've always believed that from every like dark place, there's this light. You will find a light. You just got to hold on and wait to see it. Because when I look back, there are so many things, you know, when Katrina happened, that's when I met Dave. And I don't think I would have been able to handle that if I hadn't been falling in love, you know, with my husband. When my dad hit rock bottom, we got married, you know, when we had to file for bankruptcy. I still had these two beautiful babies that kept me going. I kept going in life and it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. You just have to hold on. And and I think running and being able to cross as many finish lines as possible has been so, so monumental to my life. And uh, so if anybody, you know, I mean, I have a place to, you know, if you're struggling with anything, if you've been a victim of sexual assault or anything, you know, I mean, feel free to reach out. Like, I will run with you. I will be with you. I will tell you all of the beautiful things that you are because I didn't have that in this time. I mean, uh, I know we have, like, way past time, and there's so much more I could say. There's so many more stories, but, I mean, that's pretty much the crux of it. (laughs) Will you ever tell your kids? I mean... Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think kids are so freaking smart. I know my oldest, you know, my oldest and my middle might know. I Eventually, if they ask, I think. I I haven't been able to know what to do with that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to, you know, there's not much that they can do about it. Under the right circumstances, I hope that they come to know that their mom is just a fighter and will freaking walk through fire for them. And I pretty much did (laughs) a million times over. And, and, and that's what motherhood is, right? I mean, you know, it doesn't matter how much you're going through, you have this responsibility and, and going through this, like, man, I, it made me even more sympathetic to my parents because you know, when you're going through something, it's it's like almost like you're, there's no room for you to process or go through anything yourselves when you have children, right? Because it's like you're on stage. Yeah. Um, and they see and they can feel that energy and you have to figure out a way to um, channel it in a positive way. And, you know, some days I was great at it and some days I wasn't. Yeah. It, But, you know... I hope that when I do tell them that they they know that, you know, at this period of time when I was sad, it was, you know, I fought. I fought for them and I fought for uh, for me to, to pull myself out of this crazy darkness. And that, that really, I mean, more than anything, to not, not lose faith and not give up on life, you know. I mean, that's essentially, oh, during the, I mean, I didn't really have my parents. This is what we 
didn't touch on this, but you know, right after I was raped, I found out my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And so I didn't tell them for a while. Dave actually ended up telling them, but you know, my dad was going through chemo and I was going, I mean, it was just not, not, uh, all around very unpleasant, but yeah, it's, uh, I knew that I've never talked about this and I know I had kind of a long, a lot of life to unpack before I even got there. But I, when you had talked about, when you had started this and I had listened to Alex's story, I remember I was on the elliptical on my lunch break and I'm just like crying and I'm like, Eileen, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Like, you know, like you, you, you're alive and you have so much left to live. And like, you know, it just kind of changed my perspective. And I, I think the platform and the, the idea of, um, heroes and everyday people yeah. or drawing inspiration from everyday people is, is a real thing. And I, and I, I had to do that myself in many different ways in many different areas of my life and I just think it's such a, a positive thing that you're doing so thank you you're welcome well and I don't know if you've noticed this but I originally I don't remember what my tagline was for the podcast it was kind of like it was like inspiration from very day people but you said something to me in dm on instagram mm-hmm. it was like you said I love what you're doing every runner has a story and I was like oh yeah mm-hmm. so now the tagline on my podcast says every runner has a story and it's because of you and I just it's true everybody you just you never know I you don't know idea walking into this room I mean I shouldn't say no idea because I knew your story somewhat but like all the other things all that you've been through yeah I mean running running has just been you know I mean, I didn't even have a watch. I didn't have a watch for my, like, first 10 marathons. I've done 25 marathons since 2006. I don't even know how many halves, four-something, 50Ks. I know we didn't even get to the full mo, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, right, the fact that you were first place. (laughs) Yeah. First sub-masters, yeah. I mean, I don't care. First at masters. (laughs) Yeah, it was submasters. My my lovely mug sits on oh. my desk at work because it, <laughs> it was like a couple months before my fortieth, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna drink out of this every day while every I'm a day. submaster. Yes, <laughs> yeah, because forty, you know, I was just so uh, I didn't care except for I had lost time. Yeah, yeah, and I felt like I lost a lot of time, but. I know that I'm going to make up for it. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, not only that, there was a fucking global pandemic, like just in there. Well, yeah. It's like you got to live through that. No races. So you have no out like that outlet is gone during that time. Yeah. You know, a time when I just needed and wanted uh, to be hugged. I'm a hugger Um, to be hugged and, and be with people. Everybody was like. Yeah, I mean, so scary. It's like a whole nother yeah, level of was, isolation. Yeah, so it was, it was like a, a triple isolation, yeah. and I wasn't. Yeah, uh, yeah. talk about a, a blur of time, but you know, I made it through, and um, I'm just super thankful. You, you know, my husband and the kids mm-hmm. and the people that have um, 
embraced me and uh, I've just been so fortunate. Um, the friends that I've made, there are these five women at work that, gosh, we be, they, they befriended me in the midst of me being a zombie. I was like, they had asked me to go to Arnie's for a drink. And it was like, again, like the 50K moment. I like me? spun my head around. I'm like, <laughs> are, are they talking to me? Like, because at work, I was so in my head and just focusing on like not showing any kind of emotion. Like, I was worried I would just crack, yeah. you know, yeah. at any given day. Um, so, yeah, it's just been, you know, I, I wouldn't have, I don't know that I would have the same friendships if mm -hmm. I hadn't been through all of this. So, yeah, I'm very fortunate, and um, I'm hoping that this helps somebody. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Of course. Because I know that that was not easy. Yeah. And you and I both now have been in tears. Yeah, I feel I like, I'm like, well, how the hell do I say, okay, now I'm going to ask you about <laughs> the Jesus. songs. Yeah. So we're just going to do it. We're just going to yeah. transition because so, I don't know. No. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of treadmill runs because I was afterward because I was uh, a whole nother level of fear of like going out to run uh -huh. alone. But I would put music on and I whatever would just like keep me going. And that song, I think I sent you, Hosier is uh, from Ireland. And uh, Nina Cried Power is just this, I mean, originally it's, it's written for, uh, in honor of uh, protest. I mean, Nina Simone was a, a black singer and civil rights activist. And if you listen to the lyrics, they're so powerful. But they bring up all of the people that, that wrote song or, or protested you know, James Brown, Joni Mitchell. Mm. Oh, gosh, who am I missing? And he sung it with uh, Marvis Staples, and she's a great gospel singer. And did I say Marvis? Mavis Staples, sorry. I was thinking Marvin Gaye, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's just one of those songs that is so powerful. And I remember there was a lyric, you know, it's not the song, it is the singing, it's the heaven of the human spirit yeah. ringing. And yeah, it's just, I. that's what every finish line has been for me, what I felt after every run, like, you know, I would be like, no, it was like my own protest to what I was living through. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh my God, like, I just gotta keep going, I just gotta keep going. And I would put it on when I start to feel down and yeah, it's just, so good. Yeah. Do you have any mantras too? Mantra. Oh. Buck up, buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I don't, when I'm running, I really don't. Um, I used to say this is so opposite of what racing marathons is because it's like, it's a 20 mile run with a 6K at the end. And yeah. I would like say, it's a 20 mile training run and then a six mile cool down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, oh, whatever, funny. Yeah, yeah. like whatever works. Whatever right? works. Whatever um, you need to tell yourself. Yeah, whatever you need to tell yourself. But I think that was my mantra for monumental, just because I knew that I was not I was not trained for that. Yeah. And uh yeah, that was that was a rough one. But also like did so much for my spirit. Yeah. And what what day is it? It's almost it's July. It's what, July. What do you have next? What races are coming up next for you? Well, What's your next finish. Line? Um, I qualified for Boston next year. Um, so I just got PRP. Uh, I before this past Boston, I found out that I tore my hamstring. 
and I there was no way I wasn't going to run it. So I got a cortisone shot in my sits bone, which was not, yeah. no, it was not good. And then my doctor was like, look, I really, I'm not, you know, this will get you through the race, but I, I really think your hamstring's torn. And I was like, I understand, but I got to do this. Yeah. So I did it. My sister was really sick, like on the brink of death in December when we didn't even discuss that. But I, I had to do I had to do it. I had to do Boston. And so after um, the mini this year, I got PRP done when they take your blood and they separate out the plasma and okay. then they inject the plasma into your tear. Tor- yeah, okay. yeah, your tendon because yeah. there's no blood flow in yeah. order to facilitate cell growth and healing. So mm-hmm. I didn't run for I couldn't do anything for two weeks, but I, I didn't run for seven because, like, I'm trying to – this is the most compliant I've ever been in my life. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, I was injured after the rape and and had battled chronic injury, but I, there was no way. Yeah. Like, I could not not run. So, yeah. so I managed to plow through it for two years because the pain in my heart was definitely uh, – definitely trumped the pain – in my body and uh I think that's kind of how it's always been for me (laughs) so you just just make it happen um but yeah so I think I don't know my siblings want to do some rocky race in Philly like we we all were like rocky fans growing up and there's like different distances and you run up the stairs and my brother and sister live in Philly now and they're like come on lean let's do the rocky race it would be really cool for all of us to do it together because neither one of them run um (laughs) And then I saw that there was a Wonder Woman race oh. in Chicago on October 21st. Oh. And my daughter is like a Wonder Woman fanatic. And I just thought it would be really cool that to would be so do cool. something like that and have her see me run. But yeah. I don't really have anything on the docket. I was just trying to be compliant yeah. and see how the healing goes. I'm just getting back. I went to PBT last night and just ran like easy miles and yeah yeah we didn't even end up getting to talk about that either that's okay that's okay I've always just wondered about I really don't know a lot about the elusive like PBT PBT. like tank because it's like for as an outsider like I always see the tank Tank. tops oh yeah and you're like what's that well Matt Ebersol is the coach yeah we do speed work on Tuesdays um I started with PBT in 2013 14. I had CC in 2013 in November, and I okay. started the summer of 2014, and Matt's wonderful. I mean, it's not just for elites, although he does have – I mean, there's a fast – there's a lot of fasties. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not – you know, I don't hey, consider don't do, myself. No, mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Miss Podium Finisher on your age group. I don't care. You can't tell me you're not fast. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's relative. Yeah. Uh, well, like you said before, this episode will come out July 28th. 8th. I'm glad it all came together like that. That's really special. Yeah, me too. So This has been very cathartic. I'm sorry I'm, like, not the most eloquent woman. How can I mean? I'm, like, trying to explain my life. It's it's hard. Yeah. And if people want to find you, you're Leany, L-E-E-N-I-E. 353. 353. Yeah. On Instagram. Yeah. Leany. So, yeah. Leany. My family, like, everybody calls me Leany. Leany. Yeah. Yeah. 
my uh, the godmother of my children, William, godfather. Their uh, oldest daughter is Eileen. Really? And they're a Catholic family, too. Are they? Yeah. I see. So, Eileen, like, I love the names. All the love names it. are coming back. Because, right. like, I had never met, I've never met an Eileen that's, like, my age. They're mainly, like, you know, uh, silver. What yeah. is it? Like, geriatric. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, like, you know, my grandma's name. and Yeah. Like, but it's really very cool. cool. Well, it's been so great getting to know you better. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And happy running, everybody. Have a good one.